Welcome to my podcast, Did God Really Say That? The past year has been pretty challenging with school commitments and medical complications. I decided to close a chapter on a short-lived YouTube channel called Be A Doer in an effort to transition to a different medium which I have deemed to be a more appropriate avenue for my intended ministry. I have, over the past year, in preparation for this podcast, compiled a vast list of Bible topics to discuss. These include topics such as church discipline, church latency, generational impacts and views on the church, and various other areas that I believe rarely get addressed in practical and personal ways. I want to preface this podcast with a detailed disclaimer to negate any misconceptions on my intentions. First off, this podcast's intended audience is anyone who professes themselves to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is an exhortation to the church body in an effort to spur one another to good works that would seek to advance its evangelical mission. I want to say first and foremost that I believe it is imperative to understand the meaning of salvation. We are all hopeless sinners living in the grace that was given to us by the atonement of Christ's blood at Calvary. The church is not exempt from the temptation of sin, and I will be the first to admit that I struggle with sin on a daily basis, and I lean heavily on the work of the Holy Spirit in my life in the pursuit of being a fruitful part of the church body. Everyone has sin in their lives. 1 John 1.8 states, If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Some sins can be more transparent than others, and I am speaking of personal observations that are not intended to point fingers as a form of moral comparison. But what I want to do is get the church body to question its motives and strengthen one another up in the area of practical application for the glory of the Lord. And I want to say, this is not an expository teaching, nor is it a topical presentation designed to further personal motives for theology. I'm going to be doing something that can be construed as dangerous in areas in regard to Reformed teaching. I will be giving personal testimony and opinions that supplement the Word of God, and this is not in an effort to take away or add to the Bible, but to provide edifying application. I believe the Word of God is authoritative in nature and given for a purpose according to 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17, which states, All Scripture is inspired by God and beneficial for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be fully capable, equipped for every good work. The Reformed environment for which our family most closely associates with is not without its limitations. That This is what has basically motivated me to pursue this podcast. I see the importance of expository teaching and understanding scriptures in context, and I'm a strong advocate of sound hermeneutics and textual criticism. And I am thankful for the efforts of church fathers, reformed movements, and great theologians. I understand that there are areas of scriptures that Christians may disagree on, but still have valid views according to their own conscience, according to Romans 14:5, which states, One person values one day over another, another values every day the same, 
Each person must fully be convinced in his own mind. I will discuss this topic further, Lord willing, at a further date. The Reformed environment finds itself very uncomfortable with matters of topical teaching, as the natural inclination is to insert one's own opinions at the error of maligning the Word of God. And this is understandable for very good reason. If you want to hear expository preaching, there are many options to you, such as grace to you or whatever you like. My only concern with this is that this can create another dilemma in which the Word of God becomes more whitewashed and less impacting on the convictions of the modern church. The Reformed environment has a solid biblical understanding of grace and its rejection of works-based theology. However, areas like eternal assurance, while doctrinally correct, can provide a safety blanket which can create a form of biblical atrophy. And I've got much to speak about on that topic, but specifically I'm going to be opening up my podcast with another topic. I would venture to say that we need to be careful that this pursuit of studying the Word in its entirety is not centered around a form of idolatry related to biblical knowledge. Studying the Bible word for word should be the desire of every Christian, independent of well-studied and trained pastors and theologians. I am by no means a polished speaker with an extensive theological background. God has blessed me with the opportunity to achieve modest seminary theological training, but I, I strongly still believe in the benefit of church discipleship and personal Bible study accountability. I'm someone with limited ministry experience with a secular retail job and a desire to serve God and truly understand His character at the expense of my personal desires. The topics that I intend to discuss should get you to think deeper and more intentionally into our actions as Christians. So I want to delve into this ministry with something I call good peopleism. Let's face it. We are surrounded by a culture that is bent on the progressive nature of society into a false utopia. The sinful nature of mankind has always fostered a culture of hurt, and when given over to sin has produced much in the way of great tragedy. For example, slavery in American history has harbored a culture of resentment as a result of the misguided and harmful views of humanity in times past. An optimistic view would suggest that society is gradually learning from its harmful mistakes, which fosters societal growth. But hurt and residual racist ideology still exist. To be fair, much progress has been made through the efforts of civil rights leaders. However, the hurt so recent on the minds of victims of inequality have harbored significant resentment and skepticism. This can be personal to me as I come from an Asian background in which I've personally witnessed such ignorant and hurtful mentality. Another example would be the growing concern of bullying, now entering an area of social media expansion. This also has created a culture of hurt and resentment, which initiated a movement of social reform and ideology. Now this is a tricky topic to discuss as there are beneficial implications to rejecting immoral and hurtful behaviors toward all members of God's creation. On the other hand, this has spawned a false view of what it means to be a good person. It is imperative to understand that we are wretched in the face of a holy God. It is only through the atonement of Christ that we are able to be in fellowship with Him. Now growing up in Generation X, or Xenial, if you want to get real specific, 
I have personally seen a cultural shift in views toward one another. As a Gen Xer, we were skeptical, maybe even a little bit jaded, but less apt to be offended by societal mannerisms. I want to throw out the caveat that I understand you cannot fully blanket or stereotype an entire generation. I'm speaking of the overall majority, and I am a strong advocate of not making the exception to the rule. We have entered a culture of entertainment and pleasure where it is celebrated to break social norms and alter it for the sake of progression. Phrases that are being thrown around like flipping the script, being woke, start your impossible, are all being touted as the mantras for defying cultural norms. I'm speaking generically as the majority or the most realistic expectation. As a Gen Xer transitioning to a majority millennial and subsequent Gen Z generation, I'm seeing a shift in social ideology. Things that were socially taboo or frowned upon culturally are beginning to be more widely acceptable. For example, it might have been criticized socially in my era to pout your lips while accentuating yourself for a personal picture. I guess to be fair, we didn't have cell phones for selfies yet, and perhaps we weren't ready for this culture. And yes, I do understand we had the infamous tacky culture of glamour shots. We also fostered a culture of Gen Xers of bullying one another, which transitioned through subsequent generations. To the benefit of society, this was identified as a problem, although bullying has never been fully eradicated and never will according to the nature of sinful mankind. I have witnessed an emerging culture of peace and love under the banner of goodness. Social justice and reform has led to the emergence of free thinking which centers around the moral goodness of mankind. Perhaps this view of so-called unlocked potential has led to the eventual transition to a utopian culture where people's minds can be freed from its oppressive thinking. Now don't get me wrong. Treating one another fairly with kindness is biblical and it's very necessary. Ephesians 4.32 states, Be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. There is a call of the church to be ambassadors for the Lord as the body and the reflection of His character, eventually leading to the draw of being saved from the eventual destruction of the sinful world as we know it. However, my concern goes much deeper than this. The notion of good peopleism centers around the ideology of praise and confidence in oneself. This can inevitably lead to false motives and perhaps the eventual disregard for the need of being saved from one's own sins. A utopia of good people would eliminate the need for a newly restored kingdom under God's hand. This can be very harmful to the mission of the church and its efforts to evangelize the lost. Why do people even need a savior? I'm finding churches championing, championing social justice reform as though this is the answer to the problem of society in general. This goes deeper in the heart and originates in the sinful nature of mankind. When someone champions these issues, they tend to receive praise from the greater society. I would contend that this was the issue of the Pharisees as written in scripture. This hypocrisy was recorded in Matthew 23. And it states, Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, whatever they tell you, do and comply with it all. But do not do as they do. For they say things, and they do not do them. 
and they tie up heavy burdens and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as their finger. And they do all their deeds to be noticed by other people, for they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments. And they love the place of honor at banquets and the seats of honor in the synagogues and personal greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by the people. Obviously, this led to an ingenuine and heretical self-centered view that was condemned by the Lord himself. From a worldly perspective, this notion of good peopleism has spawned an entire movement that surrounds it, sort of champion of social justice, supporter of religious and cultural pluralism mentality. While these things don't inherently have anything wrong with them, as the entirety of creation is equal in salvation opportunity, it does, however, create an outlet for replacing the need for a specific and sole instrument of salvation. John 14.6 states, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I would venture to say that good peopleism can be detrimental to the public view of the church. The church then might find itself striving to seek the favor of the majority worldview. And let's face it, topics like homosexuality, transgenderism, and even gender authoritative views are under attack under the guise of good peopleism and associated with views of equality. One particular example is a recent article involving a youth pastor who apologized for the previous expectations of modest dress for youth functions. His newly adopted view would suggest that women should exercise freedom from dress limitations such as one-piece bathing suits, and men should stop being savage beasts giving in to their sinful desires. Aside from the fact that I would be naive to believe this sinful nature is specific only to men, we see an increase in immodest dress and culture giving way to more liberal freedoms. This pastor had received much praise and applause from his surrounding congregation. That must have felt very euphoric. How then do we reconcile 1 Timothy 2.9 regarding respectable dress with modesty and self-control? Or 1 Corinthians 6.19-20 regarding the body as a temple of the Holy Spirit? Well, I understand there was a there was rampant prostitution in the surrounding culture during the time of the Corinthian church. It was apparently becoming an influence. The main issue here is that following scripture and its underlying reason for doing so is dismissed for the freedom of conscience to dictate what is acceptable according to man. Now we see a scenario where defending modest dress is counter to the good nature of people. Isaiah 5.20 states, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. So while this is obviously an issue to unchanged lives and generally understood by the church for its negative implications, there's still a danger to the modern church. As Christians, we are constantly undergoing a life of sanctification in pursuit of kingdom-minded living. We still fall short and have tendencies of the flesh, the Pharisees found themselves in a place of moral superiority, often practicing sin comparison. Luke 18.11 states, The Pharisee stood and began praying this in regard to himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, crooked, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. 
So my question is, can the notion of good peopleism infiltrate our thinking and compel us to practice sin and moral comparisons? Every one of us suffers from the sin of pride and the euphoric joy of receiving praise and honor. Even though we might practice exemplary social skills and maybe even exhibit modest and humble motives, the Lord looks upon the heart and sees us for how we really are. Are our motives centered around the praise of others as we are seen in this positive light? Paul constantly had to defend his character and integrity for the sake of simply giving scriptural truth. Jesus wasn't even favored in his day. Exhortation suffers under the guise of good peopleism. I find that churches tend to focus on grace at the expense of hard topics that might create a less than favorable view. As numbers diminish in the American church or Bible-centered churches specifically, this is going to create a concern for freedoms and the effectiveness of kingdom-building environments. As Bible truths are less lived out practically, the church will find itself to be a weak entity getting absorbed into the surrounding culture. Churches seem to be growing on the grounds on how well they blend with the culture. This will inevitably lead to a church that is desensitized to sin and what biblical living means. I heard a pastor say in the past, go ahead and ignore these issues. They'll be in your backyard before you know it. Although this was never promised in the Bible, in fact, scriptures say quite the opposite. Hasn't it been wonderful to exercise Christian freedom where you weren't seen as wicked? This is going to change in the near future. The day's coming, and perhaps the necessary avenue is to chasten a stagnant and complacent church. Christians are finding themselves in more and more uncomfortable opinions of the surrounding society as bad people. Let me give another example regarding the harmful implications of good peopleism. Recently, I was having a discipleship-related discussion with a coworker regarding prophecy and its biblically and doctrinally correct views according to Scripture. Both of us were engaged, and it was becoming a fruitful and serious discussion about key matters of belief. Another coworker who professed themselves to be a believer inserted a joke about what we were discussing in an effort to lighten up the situation because it was getting deep and involved. They then made the statement, it doesn't matter our views, just that we are cool with one another, and they believe that being a Christian was a matter of just being a good person and loving one another. Discipleship, especially when discussing matters of biblical truths, are very necessary. Proverbs 27.17 states, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Iron sharpening iron is a picture of strong people in the faith, questioning and maybe challenging each other a little bit it has been a tough love it has a tough love connotation to it proverbs 27 6 states faithful are the wounds of a friend but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy nobody wants to be the person that delivers the convicting message the church needs to stop pursuing an image of acceptance and moral plurality and take a stance on issues that will strengthen itself up for the purposes of evangelism. It needs to be different than society. Church growth has exponentially grown whose direct influence surrounds matters of entertainment rather than foundational truth. Let's face it, churches have become more drawn to personal freedom and fun with the pursuit of prosperity and feeling good. This superficial form of positivity 
only fuels the culture of good peopleism. People tend to be kind and happy when things are comfortable. But we should be open and honest with one another for the sake of accountability. You might have to step on some toes. I appreciate this candid manner I have received from other brothers in Christ. I had the benefit of another brother illuminating an action I was doing that was contrary to the teaching of Scripture. I have a brother in Christ in whom we started out having quarrels regarding biblical matters. However, we have come to reconciliation on heart matters, and I can honestly say, while we don't agree on everything, I appreciate his candid and transparent manner for which we have godly discussions. I appreciate someone like this far more than someone who's indifferent and unhelpful but comes across as kind and loving. Stop believing in the goodness of people. We are imperfect and we're going to hurt one another. It's okay to speak up about convictions and to support and encourage one another for the edification of the church. We have the power to forgive as Christ forgave us. This speaks volumes so much more than a hopeless pursuit of looking good before others. Matthew 5.16 states, Your light must shine before people in such a way that they, that they see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. However, as the words of Christ hit hard the audience of his day, sometimes the message of the gospel will not be well received. It is far better to please the Father in heaven for genuine Christ-centered works as opposed to the glorification of self or humanity. I want to personally thank you for taking time out of your day to listen to my message, and may the grace of God go with you as you confront the daily challenges of being the church.